Welcome everyone. You're tuning in to Absolutely Not True Crime, where we delve into the uncanny, the bizarre, and the unexplainable in the world of crime. I'm your host, Jackie, a devoted true crime enthusiast who loves to explore the unusual side of crime. Hey everyone, I'm Steve, the curious sidekick who's here to add a pinch of humor to our dark narrative. It's going to be a wild ride, so buckle up. Whether you're an avid listener of our show or joining us for the first time, we're glad to have you with us. This is episode two, an especially intriguing one we've titled The Cursed Doll, Tales of Death and Terror. In this episode, we'll walk through a peculiar case from the 1980s Louisiana suburbs that, on the surface, appears saturated with supernatural elements. Before we move forward, a quick word about our future sponsors. We're looking for partners who share our passion for storytelling and are interested in reaching a diverse audience of true crime and mystery enthusiasts. If you think your brand aligns with us, do reach out. We'd love to share your message with our audience. And hey, who wouldn't want a part of this spooky adventure, right? So, without further ado, let's dive into the enigmatic story of the Cursed Doll. Picture this, an ordinary, peaceful neighborhood trimmed lawns, children playing, barbecues on the weekends, the usual suburban bliss. That was until the day the tranquility was shattered. Shattered like a dropped ice cream cone on a hot day? You could say that, Steve. This particular incident involves the Cray family, parents Margaret and Paul, their teenage daughter Linda, and their little boy, Benny. Don't tell me. They found a doll on their doorstep, right? You're not far off. Margaret Cray had purchased an old, worn-out doll from a garage sale. She thought it would be a good addition to her collection. But this was no ordinary doll. It was said to have belonged to a witch, who was rumored to have cursed it before her death. A cursed doll? You've got to be kidding me. This is where things get dark, Steve. After the doll was brought into the Cray household, strange happenings began. Objects would move on their own. There were whispers in the night. And then the unspeakable. In the dead of night, Margaret Cray was found lifeless in her living room, the doll seated across from her, its glassy eyes staring blankly. An autopsy revealed a cause of death that no one expected. Fright. She died of fright? That's the official cause. Her heart had given out from extreme fear. But it doesn't stop there. The eeriness surrounding the case multiplied with the accounts of neighbors and witnesses. Let me guess. The doll moved when no one was looking. Exactly, Steve. Multiple neighbors reported seeing the doll move in the window when the family wasn't home. Some even claimed to hear soft giggling sounds emanating from the Cray household at ungodly hours. I'm getting goosebumps here, Jackie. The local news picked up the story soon after. In a quiet Louisiana suburb, the inexplicable death of Margaret Cray continues to baffle local authorities. With no signs of forced entry or struggle, police are at a loss. Speculation surrounding a seemingly innocuous doll purchased from a garage sale are intensifying as neighbors report disturbing occurrences linked to the toy. There were theories aplenty, from the supernatural to more grounded ones involving a ghastly causing hallucinations. However, none held water. The coroner's report was clear. Cause of death, extreme fear. Now that's one for the books. Who would have thought a garage sale find could lead to such a ruckus? Indeed, Steve. In the wake of Margaret Cray's mysterious death, the local law enforcement had a daunting task ahead. 
A seemingly peaceful suburban home had turned into a perplexing crime scene, with an old doll sitting across from Margaret's lifeless body. So, how do they begin to process a scene like this? That's a question for our guest, Dr. Hannah Freeman, a seasoned forensic scientist. The first step in any scene is to document and collect evidence. We photograph, measure, mark, and then finally collect. In this case, they had to process a seemingly innocuous doll as potential evidence, which is quite unusual. The hours leading up to the incident were typical of any family night. Dinner, some television, and then off to bed. Paul Cray made the grim discovery the following morning. So, did they find anything unusual about the doll? That's another question for Dr. Hannah. An extensive forensic examination was conducted on the doll, but it turned up nothing. No fingerprints, no toxic substances. It was just an old, worn-out doll. The investigators conducted extensive interviews, family, neighbors, and even the garage sale seller. I assume they didn't find a witch at the end of the trail. Not quite, Steve. The seller had bought the doll from an estate sale with no knowledge of its past. The investigative approach was traditional, which in some ways might have been a limitation. When faced with unconventional cases, considering unconventional theories might yield results. So, what broke the case open? The breakthrough came from an unexpected source, Benny, the crazed little boy. Benny claimed he saw the doll moving on its own. His story, dismissed as a child's imagination, started to hold weight considering Margaret's cause of death, extreme fear. In such cases, psychological trauma can play a significant role in perceived events. Benny's account, though initially dismissed, provided a potential psychological angle to Margaret's cause of death. A story of crime isn't complete without understanding those who are affected. The Cray family was your average, wholesome Louisiana family. Paul Cray, the head of the family, was his high school history teacher. He loved music and played the guitar in his free time. Sounds like the cool teacher everyone loves. <laughs> Indeed. Margaret Cray, his wife, was a passionate doll collector. It was this love that would unknowingly lead to the tragic events. And the children? Linda, their teenage daughter, was an aspiring artist. Benny, the younger one, was just getting into kindergarten. The incident shook them all deeply. Paul lost his partner, his rock, while Linda and Benny lost their mother. That's tough. The tragedy not only left a void in their lives, but also cast a long, confusing shadow of inexplicable events, changing their lives forever. In the aftermath of the crime, authorities were scrambling for leads. Who were the suspects? Initially, Paul Cray, the husband, was suspected. It's common in such cases to look at those closest. Paul's alibi checked out, though. He was out at a school function on the night of the incident. Anybody else? Yes. The person who sold the doll at the garage sale was also looked into. Unfortunately, they too had no information of significance. They had bought the doll from an estate sale, and it had changed many hands before reaching Margaret. So, the doll was the main suspect? In a manner of speaking, yes. With no concrete leads, the focus kept shifting back to the doll and its alleged curse. Now we arrive at a turning point, a piece of tangible evidence that would disrupt the entire narrative. Even though it was the 1980s and CCTV cameras were a rarity, especially in suburban neighborhoods, one of the crazed neighbors, a tech enthusiast, had recently installed one. 
So, what did the camera catch? Late one night, the camera picked up a rather strange occurrence. There, caught on tape, was the doll, seemingly moving on its own. But that's not all, Steve. One of the investigators on the case, Officer Patrick, had a chilling account of her own. I know it sounds crazy, but I swear the doll moved when I was alone with it in the evidence room. It was just a slight tilt of its head, but it was enough to send shivers down my spine. Wow, that's creepy. It was quite a shock for everyone involved. As a forensic scientist, it's hard to explain something like this. This added another layer of mystery to the case. That's when a university researcher stepped in. Her studies on the power of suggestion and its psychological impact provided an alternative explanation. In this case, the doll was the suggestive element. The story behind the doll, the allergic curse, and now its movements, created powerful suggested narrative. This could trigger extreme psychological responses. This new angle, although it couldn't fully explain the doll's movement, gave a possible rational explanation to the mysterious circumstances of Margaret's death. I don't know, Jackie. Even with all that, I can't shake off the feeling that there's more to this doll. This case has always intrigued me for its blend of fear, mystery, and the power of suggestion. It underlines how deeply our minds can be influenced by what we believe and the narratives we accept. Yeah, I'll be double-checking all my childhood toys tonight. Jokes aside, it's a reminder that truth can sometimes be stranger than fiction, and our understanding of reality can often be molded by our perceptions. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you love what we're doing and want to support us, check out our Patreon page. And don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website for more exclusive content. Next week, join us as we explore the unsettling case of the Silent Villa, a place where walls do talk. Special thanks to Dr. Hannah and Officer Patrick for their insights. This is absolutely not true crime, where the only thing we're guilty of is curiosity. Curiosity.